might take some of you back to the 90s here. In 1993, there was a group called Ace of Bass, and they released a song, and uh, it was probably their greatest hit. What was the name of that song? The Sign. The Sign, yes. And uh, the lyrics go, I saw the sign and it opened up my eyes. You might kind of know that tune. Unfortunately, they didn't see the sign that John wrote about in his gospel. (laughs) The sign that would help them believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The Gospel of John had one purpose. John stated that purpose in John chapter 20. I want to bring you to that, verse 30 and 31, so you can see that on the screen. John wrote, this is why he wrote, this is his purpose. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in my book, but these I wrote so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, that's the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. John could have written about several, probably hundreds of signs that Jesus did, but he specifically wrote about seven of them. And there were seven signs. Now, sign is a Greek word that's interpreted also as a miracle or a wonder. So signs, miracles, wonders, John wrote about seven of them, and it reveals one important truth that Jesus is the Son of God. That was John's purpose. Jesus is divine. All seven of those signs begin with two words that are supremely significant to all Jewish people because it's the name of God, a name of God that was given to them through Moses. Those two words, you may know, I am. I take it back to Exodus 3.14. Moses was at a burning bush God revealed himself to him. He said, who are you? Who is this that's speaking to me? And Jesus, or God said to Moses in verse 14, I have that too as well. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said this, said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now the word I am or the meaning of I am is the existing one. God has many names in the Bible. You may have seen that or noticed that. And every one of those names reveals the character of God. And the character that God wanted his people to know and us to know is that he is the existing one. He has always existed and he always will. He has no beginning and he has no ending. Now Jesus was very intentional when he used the phrase, I am. And and John records that. The first of them we see today, the first of the seven signs, they all begin with, I am. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He will also say in the Gospel of John, I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And finally, he will say, I am the true vine. But Jesus also is the great I am, because Jesus always was and always will be. In fact, John pointed that out, his very first thing he wrote in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the great I am. I have an important question for you to think deeply about. I don't want you to answer it quickly. I want you to think about it. Do you believe 
Jesus is God's Son. And I want you to know that you really can't answer that question with words. I think you have to answer that question with your actions. As they say, actions always speak louder than words, and your actions will prove if you truly believe Jesus is God's Son. Because today, you're going to see two kinds of believers. Maybe I should put that in air quotes. Used correctly, not like Joey. There's two kinds of believers in John chapter 6, and there's two kinds of believers in your schools, in your neighborhoods, in your maybe families, in your workplace today. There are some who believe only when God blesses them, and there are others that believe even when God tests them. There are some that believe God only brings good, but there are some that believe God allows bad so you will see how good he truly is. There are some that believe Jesus belongs in the back seat, and others believe Jesus should take the wheel. There are some that believe you should trust your own judgment, but others believe in trusting the Holy Spirit and walking by faith. You see, if you believe like some people believe today, you'll probably stop trusting God Turn your back on him when life gets difficult, when things don't go the way you think they should go. But if you believe like the disciples believe, and you will follow Jesus no matter what, because you will know he is the bread of life. A bread that doesn't get old, doesn't get moldy, and it satisfies your hunger for all of eternity. That's the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it brings life. I pray this morning that if anyone is blind, that you will open their eyes so they can see the truth and the truth will set them free. Father, I pray that if any of us in here is pretending to believe and our actions are showing that, that we will make a commitment today to truly believe and to follow you, to go all in for you, to not be a fan, but to be a true follower. I pray, Father, your Holy Spirit to speak to us, to speak through me. And as John the Baptist said, I pray, I will become less and you will become more. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And the church said, Amen. So I want to remind you that at this point in the Gospels, we are at the final year of the life of Jesus. We're in the last year. And it's at this point where Jesus has become really popular, okay, famous. His teachings and his miracles have gotten to the point where everybody is following him everywhere he goes. Now remember, just a few Sundays ago, I told you how, or I taught you how he fed 5,000 men and probably another 10,000 women and children with five loaves and two fish. And then we looked at the following Sunday how he walked on water, which fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah 43. He makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. Everywhere Jesus goes, people are following him. 
He's incredibly famous. But why are they following? Back in 1985, a movie came out that I enjoyed very much called Brewster's Millions. It happened to pop up in one of my feeds. I don't remember which one it was, but I watched it again just a couple weeks ago. I like watching movies from, you know, the teenage years, the 80s. I'm a big 80s movie fan and, and like watching those and thinking to myself, why did I like this when I was a kid? And other times thinking, yeah, this was a great movie. I loved it. Well, in this movie, Brewster's Millions, if you've never seen it before, Richard Pryor is the main actor and John Candy is in this movie. And Richard Pryor is a minor league um, pitcher. John Candy is a catcher. And Brewster is Richard Pryor. He inherits, inherits uh, $30 million that he has to spend in 30 days from his crazy Uncle Rupert. If he does it, he gets the full inheritance of $300 million. Now, Richard Pryor has basically one friend, his catcher, John Candy. But when he starts blowing through money, because he's got to spend a million dollars a day, he has followers everywhere he goes in New York City. Everybody is following him because he's giving out jobs, he's paying people, he's buying lunch, he's doing all of these things, and they are following him because he's got the money. And when he gets to the end of the money, that would be the end of many of those friendships. All those people realize he's broke after 30 days, and they leave him. They desert him. Well, we are at the point in the life of Jesus where it's time for the money to run out. It's time for Jesus to say some things that these people these so-called followers, these believers, they're not going to like it. In John chapter 6, you're going to see that a lot of these followers are going to walk away. They're going to desert him. And I always found it interesting. I know the verses and chapters came in later. But I always find it interesting that John 6, 6, 6. John 6, verse 66 says... After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I just always found that to be interesting. These pretenders only believed in Jesus because he filled their bellies. That's why they they followed him. And now he's going to call them out on it. And now it's going to get real. Verse 26 is where we start. If you have your Bible, John 6, verse 26. Take you through... The final verses here in John 6. Jesus said to them, truly, truly. Now, I wish we could have seen Jesus' face. I wish we could have heard the tone in his voice, seen his body language. Truly, truly. Whenever you see that, by the way, like verily, verily, he's saying, Look, pay attention. This is the truth here I'm about to reveal to you. I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Coast to coast, around the Sea of Galilee, they are following Jesus because he gave them the best bread they ever tasted and the best fish 
that they ever ate. And they didn't just get a little bit. They stuffed themselves. They wished they would have brought their stretchy pants. They ate so much. And there was some left over for the disciples' lunch the next day. They're following him because they want more delicious food. They only cared about filling their belly. I remember when I was a young guy with my first job out of college, I only cared about filling my belly. More specifically, filling my wallet. I only cared about money. I wanted to be rich, have lots of money, do lots of things. And it was not even my fourth year out of college, I was making over $100,000 a year. Guess how much I saved? Zero. And at age 26, I discovered this truth. No amount of money would ever satisfy my craving. I could make a million, and I would find a way to spend a million. And that's what Jesus is telling these people. Nothing is going to satisfy you. Stop living life to fill your bellies. You're always going to be hungry again. You're never going to be satisfied. Your number one goal in life should not be for your comfort. Your number one goal in life should not be so you're comfortable. And if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you on that issue right there, don't shoot the messenger, okay? It's between you and God. This is what Jesus was saying to them. Verse 27, he said to them, Don't work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, because on him God the Father has set his seal. Then in verse 29, Jesus said, This is the work of God. Because they asked him, Well, what work do we have to do? Isn't that typical of most religions? What work do we have to do so God will be happy with us? What must we do? How do we get to heaven? What do we have to do? I want to do something so I can earn it. And Jesus says in verse 29, the work of God is that you believe in him whom he has sent. Not pretend believe. Not believe until life gets a little tough. But truly believe. Well, they said, before we believe in you, Jesus, we want some proof. We want some proof. Give us some proof. Verse 30. So they said, What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Duh, 5,000 people just ate from five loaves and two fish. But apparently one delicious meal was not enough. Because they referenced Moses. Because Moses apparently, a prophet that they believed came from God, fed their people, for 40 years. They went on to say, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. For 40 years, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now they made a big deal about manna, didn't they? I mean, in Jesus' day, they made a huge deal about it. But when they were eating the manna, they weren't so excited about eating the manna. All right? In fact, They didn't even know what it was. The name manna literally means, what is it? Picture this. They walked out of their tents the very first time. They're in the desert. There's no food around them. And God rains down manna from heaven, right? 
it's on the ground, it looks like coriander seed, maybe quinoa, it looks like, I don't know, something little tiny pebbles, right? And it's all over the ground. And they walked out, and that was their food for the day. And they looked at it, and they said, what is it? Imagine you made a new recipe for your family, and you served them the dinner. And the whole family went, what is it? That's not so good, right? You're probably not going to make that again. Can you imagine eating, what is it, for 40 years? I don't think they had manna cookbooks, okay? What is it? Manna wasn't tasty, but it sustained them. Jesus then taught them the purpose of the manna. Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses who gave you bread from heaven. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. Because the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They didn't realize the manna was foreshadowing the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And by the way, you're going to love this. Where was Jesus born? Go back to Christmas, right? Bethlehem. And do you know what Bethlehem means? It means the house of bread. Jesus, the bread of life, was actually born in the house of bread. Is that so cool? I mean, that is, I just think it's awesome. I think God has such a great sense of humor sometimes, we don't even understand it. Jesus, the bread of life, born in the house of bread. He is the one who came from heaven. So verse 34, they said, okay, Give us this bread always. Sounds just like the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Give us, give me this living water always. And Jesus then said in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Okay, now Jesus is talking in spiritual terms. He's not talking physically any longer. And by the way, John does this a lot, and he points this out. Jesus would do the miracle, the sign, and meet the physical need. And then he would preach the sermon to meet the spiritual need. It was common. That was the the pattern of Jesus. Meet the physical need and then meet the spiritual need. In fact, when you get to the end of John 6, verse 63, I put this on the screen for you, proof that Jesus was speaking spiritually. It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. He's talking spiritually. Because what's about to come next, you'll be very confused if you don't understand that he's speaking spiritually. Now, they didn't get that, and they thought he was speaking literally. Jesus knew that, so now he really didn't hold back and messed with them. I'm confident that Jesus was very sarcastic with these people that were taking him literally because he says in verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day because my flesh is true food, my blood is true drink. 
Now, for most people, that's disgusting. If you're a vampire enthusiast, maybe you like those verses. I don't know, but this is gross. And sadly, Catholicism, for example, will use this text to support a practice they call transubstantiation. When they offer communion, they teach the bread and the cup actually becomes the body and blood of Jesus. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. You can't use that text to support that teaching. It's not the point of the text. Jesus said this a year before he ever instituted communion. And he's not speaking literally, he's speaking spiritually. And the whole purpose of him saying this is to teach his followers to live in him. Spiritually. For he says in verse 56, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. He would later reveal the Holy Spirit will abide in you, will dwell in you as a true believer. This passage has nothing to do with communion and everything to do with believing Jesus is the Son of God. So I bring us back to verse 29. Jesus said, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent that you will believe Jesus is the Son of God. Now, why doesn't everyone believe in Jesus? That's a common question people ask. Why doesn't everyone believe in Jesus? And I think the answer to that question, you need help to believe. You need God's help to believe. And I think this passage proves that. You need God's help to believe. Verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Who can go to Jesus? Only those that the Father gives. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 65. This is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So all those that are predestination folks love these three verses because they support predestination. God chooses you. And honestly, if you refuse to believe that God chooses you, you should really stop singing Amazing Grace. How can you sing Amazing Grace? John Newton wrote that song because he was blind and then he miraculously could see. He didn't make it happen. He didn't open his eyes. God opened his eyes. God chooses you. But here's the crazy paradox. Even though God chooses you, you must still choose him. You must come to Jesus freely. A true believer will do that. Verse 45. The same passage. All you free will people will love this. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. You hear it, you learn it, and you come. You choose to come. Verse 67. Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to leave too? Simon Peter said, Lord, where are we going to go? You got the words of eternal life. We have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Did anyone force the disciples to follow Jesus? No. They chose to follow him. 
Everyone who believes, who follows Jesus, believes with all their heart, it is their choice. No one feels forced to follow Jesus. But for ages, Christians have debated free will versus predestination, and they will continue until Jesus returns. It's not going to stop. And both sides have Bible verses that back up their claim, supposedly. I showed you them right here in this same passage. I believe God chooses you, and then you choose him. And it happens when the word of God is taught. When you share your faith. When you tell someone your story, God can use that to open their eyes. And they can choose to follow. When I preach a sermon and I teach what I've just taught, some will have their eyes open. Maybe for the first time. It's just clicking. Based on all the past that they've learned and heard, maybe today is the day their eyes are opened. That was my prayer. That is my prayer. When a person reads a Bible or reads a tract, they may see for the first time. My hope is is that here at Life of Purpose, we see that happening all the time. People's eyes are open because we teach the Word of God. Am I here to entertain you? Am I here to entertain you? No. Is the band here to entertain you? No. We are here to teach and to lead you into worship. This isn't just a holy huddle for a few folks. This is a community church that wants to lead people to Jesus Christ. So I come back to that question. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Your actions will answer that question. So something to think about here, a few questions that you can think about. Is this what your actions have been like lately? Have you been following God even though he keeps testing you? Are you still following him through every test? Is your focus on him even though the winds and the waves are terrifying you? You might be in the middle of a storm, but are you focused on him? Are you making decisions here or in the Word, through the Holy Spirit? If you answer yes to those questions, then you're a follower of Jesus. You're a true believer. Or maybe you're saying, I'm trying. I'm trying, Pastor. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. Those are the answers of someone who truly believes. But pretend believers give up when God doesn't do what they want him to do or expect him to do. And you've seen it. Maybe you've even been there. You expected God to do something differently. And so you walked away from him. But maybe you're back. You have an option. You have a choice. As we sing our final song here, I just want to give you time to talk to God. This is a moment in time often that we rarely have a quiet time together with the church. And you have an opportunity to speak to God, to pour your heart out to him, maybe to make a commitment that you want to believe fully, truly, 100%. You can come to the altar, these steps. You can kneel down and pray. The prayer team can pray with you if you need prayer. But this is your opportunity to get closer to God, to receive forgiveness, 
if you need forgiveness. I pray that you'll use this time wisely. You'll choose to follow him 100%. Let's pray. God, this time is a great time to be honest, perfectly honest with you. Lord, I pray that our eyes are opened and we know the truth. I pray that we believe in your son Jesus. For he's the way and the truth and the life. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will speak when we don't even know what to say. I pray we trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.